This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. The comeback is on. <laughs> oh, I think this could potentially be the biggest comeback since Paul McCartney. I don't even know who that really is, if I'm going to be honest with you. New structure, new podcast, same douchebag um, on the, in front of the mic. guys i want to welcome you back we are back after a short break we've decided to to change things up a little bit uh and try to bring something to you that's a little bit less monotone a little something that's a little bit different a little bit left of center but something that we believe will have a bigger impact on you uh teach you how what we're trying to teach you which is how to run a successful business and become a more successful business owner uh, but we just think that, you know, with every, honestly, the market's flooded at the moment. It seems like every second person is a podcaster, which is fine. It's good to see, but it just means that obviously we need to diversify and differentiate. And that's what we're trying to create here. We're trying to create something a little bit left of center, a little bit, something that, uh, is, is going to be a bit different to everything else out there. So today's episode, uh, is going to be broken up into four different segments. The first segment is going to be what's happening in the industry we want to you know be able to give insights each week and and i guess just do a bit of an analysis in the industry and, and give you guys some insights into how you can take advantage of the trends and the things that are the, that are occurring in the industry and uh give you some some massive takeaways and the second we've got an interview with charlie vala uh who is in all honesty probably one of the best business minds uh here in australia someone that i turn to a lot of the time for advice um he is someone who uh, built a business up uh, and to you know, an extremely successful position. He sold out of that business and uh, now he's uh, building a media company and, and honing in on podcasting. But really what me and Charlie sit down and have a conversation about is you know, re- uh, within the service-based uh, business space, what should people be looking out for? What's going to make the biggest impact over the next five years? So that's something that you can look forward to. After that, we dive into strategy sessions. This is where you, the listener, uh, have the opportunity to uh, send through some questions, uh, which is going to be in the form of a voice memo. And we're just going to deep dive. We're going to talk everything strategy. We're going to answer those questions uh, and try to deliver massive insight so that you guys can walk away with some 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 huge amounts of, of value and learning. Uh, and then lastly, the arena, which is a personal favorite of mine. I think a big part of business that you can't really teach, you can only experience it is building character. And I think character is what makes the most successful uh, business owners that we know successful. Everybody has knowledge, everybody has concepts, but the thing that not everybody can replicate is a person's character. So we're going to give you a bit of an insight into my philosophies on business and you know really what it takes to build character uh, and some of the core principles there. So before you know it, let's go, let's dive in and I'll see you on the other side. Uh, we're still going to be interviewing people. We're still going to be bringing those pivotal conversations to you. Um, but one of the things that we're really trying to do is offer, obviously, um, try to offer a lot of value. We want people to come to this podcast when they want to learn about business strategy, uh, and really, you know, we want them to to keep up to date with what's happening in the industry and and be able to, you know, go away from these episodes and really start to apply some of these principles into their business and really go away um, thinking about dragging their business into the future and. 
um, and, and driving innovation uh, and innovative thoughts in a sense. Uh, so, as I said, we're really excited to be bringing this to you. Um, the, as I said, it's going to be a, a, a bit of a whirlwind and we're going to continue to do what we do, but um, on the, in front of the mic, uh, in front of the, the lens. But we're, as I said, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that this is a, a podcast that you listen to on a weekly basis because it really does drive innovation uh, within your, your thinking process and, and within your business. All right, so... Basically, what's happening? What's happening in the industry right now? Uh, and that's something that, you know, um, I think we all need to keep our finger on the pulse. I think when it comes to business in the industry, uh, especially right now during coronavirus, we're seeing such a, a different and dynamic um and really accelerated process in which in which we're evolving in a sense you know we're seeing this such a dynamic process in how the industry is evolving and what's working and what's not working uh, but i think what we're seeing right now is we're seeing the ultimate pivot uh, and what i mean by that is obviously people are doing what they have to you know the reality is is that people are going to literally do what they have to do in business to survive and that means whether that's going online, whether that's changing a little bit about what you do, whether that's you know changing the niche that you're working with, people are going to be diving in headfirst into things that they had no idea six months ago that they're going to. Uh, and what that find and 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 what that starts to create is obviously saturated markets. Now, what you'll see right is every single person dives into something but the problem with that is is that that can obviously look extremely desperate and and it does really show the desperation of the industry which you know at the end of the day you've got to do what you've got to do like i'm not saying not to but what you do what you do start to see right is you see that desperation and that desperation without a solid brand uh, and even going off brand can really hurt you and it can really um cause some long-term side effects within your business that at the end of the day um your your mindset with business should always be long-term. It should always be thinking ahead uh, and looking at the consequences of your strategic decisions. And if your strategic decisions were forced or you're, you know, you panicked and you just decided to make a decision and, and that decision goes off brand, what that does is it actually diminishes trust. Uh, it really starts to diminish trust. And I guess the drive home point here is that if you're going to go off brand uh, and if you are truly going to go off brand, be ready for the for people to perceive that as desperation and for perceived value of that brand and trust to go down. The the goal here with every single business owner during this ultimate pivot is to stay on brand to make sure that every strategic decision that you make moving forward is on brand. It's, you know, what's previously been associated with you needs to continue to be associated with you based on the new uh, pivot or strategic decisions that you are making. Because if it's not, as I said, perceived value drops, trust drops, and then demand will come down. Uh, and that'll obviously take away from your ability to have high margins or at least create, you know, generate a profit. And that's what you're seeing, right? When COVID hit, uh, gyms shut and, you know, shit really hit the fan. What we've seen is a lot of people pivot, but they pivot and went off, so off brand. And then all of a sudden, you know, as I said, because people are keeping their hands in their pockets, you know, a lot of our customers aren't wanting to spend a lot of money. They're not just going to chuck money at you anymore. So when, as we've seen, when you go off brand and you're just trying to make a quick buck, 
people, you know, their, their mindsets have changed. They're putting their hands in their pockets and, you know, what you, what you do see is once their hands are in their pockets, they're not spending, which means demand comes down and, you know, obviously yeah, businesses tend to profit a lot less. So the ultimate pivot is going on, but if you want to really, you know, uh, sustain success over the next six months through this rocky period and then come out at the other side on top, make sure you stay on brand. And I even think that there's an ability there for you to create anti-fragile strategies, um, which basically talks about looking at creating and implementing strategies that would work both you know, in this rocky environment, but also afterwards using your brand as the guidance system to do so. So what else is happening, right? What else is going on in the industry right now? And and one thing that we are seeing is, and especially, you know, just here in Melbourne, I'll use it as an example, is that uh, we're in a, a really intense lockdown. Um, and, you know, understanding the dynamics of the current environment is really, really important. And there's a lot of lessons that I think that everybody who's listening to this can learn from Melbourne. Um, And that's, I guess, you know, especially right now, what you'll see is that for the first time in a very long time, probably in the last 10 years, uh, we've seen, you know, a lot of brick and mortar shut down uh, and we've seen, obviously, I just talked about that. There's a lot of dynamic um, consequences to that. But the first, for the first time ever, we're seeing supply outweigh demand. We're seeing, you know, um, uh, a lot of people not, there's no, there's a lack of demand for what is the luxury service um, in coaching, personal training, physiotherapy, all of these different types of um, offerings um, or I guess uh, crafts that we we all do here in the fitness industry Uh, and we definitely see that, right? But for the first time ever, there's a lot of coaches looking to bring work in so that's our supply Uh, and then there's a lack of demand because people obviously aren't sure about their own finances so they're just, they're not willing to spend money, right? And that's what we're seeing in the industry right now. We're seeing a lot of desperate coaches, a lot of desperate business owners, which I I can, my heart goes out to you, but um, the, the, again, the reality is here, right, is that the only way to make it over the next six months is that to understand that on an individual level within your own business, you need to flip that script again. So you need to create demand for your service and you need that demand to outweigh your supply. So, um, and I guess that is the, the key point in, in business. If you want to run a successful service-based business, one of the key things that you have to do is you have to get to the point where um, demand outweighs supply. So these are things such as waiting lists, uh, only taking on certain amount of clients, creating exclusivity around the people that you do work with, putting them on a pedestal, letting them do the marketing for you, making them the superhero, and then making sure that the, the people that want to get into the service Right is and and the amount of people and the demand is far outweighing the supply and then actually using that as a marketing tool, actually using that as a part of your brand is that I'm not going to work with everybody, but I'm going to work with some people. And I think that's what Jim shutting down has just reiterated, right? The fact that people are in lockdown now, supply is heavily outweighing demand because people are panicking, right? But on an individual level, what we really need to do in business is to flip that script, is to to, to make sure that we, we keep our heads, we get back to what we do um, and we create strategies um, and, and really start to uh, 
drive home uh, or at least create a scenario where demand outweighs supply again because um, when that happens that means perceived value goes up um, and that obviously is what we want from a brand perspective which ties into our you know what we were talking about before so i just think like you know in the industry now there's a big lesson we can learn from a, a stage four lockdown here in melbourne and that is the the cold heart the, the 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 original gangster rule of demand always having to outweigh supply uh it's it's it, it works every single time and that's what uh, as a business owner you should be trying to do right now so i'm here with charlie is it vala or vala 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 let's go with that vala <laughs> Uh, welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Where does this podcast find you? So I'm in, uh, I should say, the Mornington Peninsula in Australia at the moment in lockdown 2.0. I'm in lockdown 2.0 as well. Uh, we're, we're pretty deep at the moment. It doesn't, uh, we're not getting too many signs that it's going to be ending uh, anytime soon either. I think we've got a, a, another four weeks before we might see some light at the end of the tunnel. It's so interesting. This has been um, probably the most interesting thing I've been a part of as a business owner in general. So when 2008 kind of happened, which was kind of like the last worldly crisis, I suppose you'd call it, I think I was a bit naive and young to really appreciate what was going on in the world. Like I couldn't really encapsulate anything bigger than myself. And that was probably a really good thing. I was very focused and did very well in that time. This time, however, I think I'm so much more aware, aware of just what a big world it is. And what I'm kind of looking at at the moment, or in, I suppose, I don't even know, experiencing, I'll go with as the word here, is just how interesting it is to observe how certain business owners or just people behave in this circumstance. So for some people, for example, they're seeing this as this huge opportunity, greatest opportunity ever. Finally, they're going to take market share. They're expanding. Right. And then on the other side, I'm seeing business owners where it's like the world's ending. They've flipped into this victim mentality and like both these people are in the same experience. And I've just never had a time when I've appreciated or looked at how mindset plays a role in business or how some people like really don't adapt to change as well as others. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, uh, this is something that I'm very passionate about. I, I really love and, and almost, I would say, psychology and the mind was my one true love for a very long time. Before I got into or heavy into to the business side of things, I was very much into the mind. So, it, you know, it does just talk to the fact that we're all wired differently. We all go through different experiences from birth and they, they play a, such a large role in, uh, you know, I guess our behaviours and, and how we carry ourselves through life, you know, literally until we, we obviously we pass. So I think... For myself, it's something that I've always known, and that's why I, play, I, you know, even just on my own, you know, when it when it comes to my own mind, and and uh, I, I call it kind of living an examined life in a sense. It's you know my own spirituality and uh, looking after my mind and you know uh, morning routines, these types of things, uh, spiritual experiences, meditation. I'm pretty big into it for that reason. So I definitely. I love that stuff as well. I love to examine. I love to, to look at uh, how people are behaving and, and, and try to unpack why. And, and then having those conversations with people as well is really cool. But it definitely does talk to the fact that when you're going through a crisis, you know, um, it's, 
one of those, I guess it really just does bring out the survival instinct in us. And, and that survival instinct for everyone is so different. Some people is like grunt work, dig the heels in. Some people are like, I'm going to go hide in the corner for the next six months. Like it's just, it is so different and dynamic. And um, it's really interesting. Like I listen to a lot of Sam Harris. He's someone that I, I love to listen to. And he kind of says something that I think really hits home with what we're talking about right now. And that's who are you on your worst possible day? And that's something that I think we're seeing right now, except that worst day is probably a, a worse three or three to six months. <laughs> um, and, you know, especially as a business owner, you know, who are you when the chips are down? And, and that's something that I, I try to pride myself on, you know, personally. Yeah. I love that for so many reasons. I, I think it's incredibly true at the moment. And like, you could look at some of the tactics. It's like, uh, if you look at some of the, like the, uh, interrogation tactics, they do it like high level stuff. If you've ever seen like CIA documentaries, first thing they do is knock people out of their routine. They keep them up when they should be sleeping and they make them sleep when they should be awake. And like, it's so true that for everyone that was comfortable and now they've got this to go on with, it's, it's rattling someone out there. It really is. And big fan of Sam Harris also. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to jump into this, right? And, and you're someone who I think, you know, obviously I can probably count five people on my hand that I go to for business advice whenever I need it. And you're one of them. So I wanted to, to dive into a few topics today with yourself and, and really just unpack what you think, you know, service-based uh, business owners need to keep an eye out for or, or what you think they should be doing uh, from here on in and, and what they should prepare for in a sense uh, for the future. What do you think's you know, changing at the moment and, and is going to have a massive impact, uh, not just on the fitness industry, but just on, in, on you know, when we talk about service-based business in general? Oh, it's very kind of you to say, Kyle. I appreciate that a lot. Um, to make one of five is, I think, a, an honour. So thank you. I, the way I'd almost love to tackle this is I'm someone that believes in trends and cycles. And then I'm also someone that believes in macro and micro. So I think the macro affects the micro and conversely, the same can be true. So what I kind of think is going on right now at a big level is the world is just fast forwarded five years. And I know people don't necessarily may feel that or be experiencing that at the moment, but I think there's this huge change that's gone on at a level where a cycle has ended and a new one has begun, and a lot of people are now being forced, I say forced, to go virtual. Mm. And um, I think we're seeing some really interesting things, and I'll give you an example. I actually bought, um, during this time, um, a car and a caravan that I've never seen. And it was all done on a virtual inspection and taken around, and like the guy is not even in the state. And that never would have happened in this time. And talk about someone who's evolved. This, this guy I bought this caravan and car off, like top points. He was straight onto it. Like talk about adaptation. But I think a lot of, and we'll say service businesses from here, whether they're willing to, wanting to, the idea of like going back is done. There is no going back to normal. It's going forward to these new opportunities. And I think that's the big thing I really think a lot about is that there is no back anymore. There is only forward. And that forced adaption into virtual is probably one of the big things I've been paying a lot of attention to in a lot of industries. The second thing is in this time, um, I also, I had to uh, sell a house and buy a house. Um, we went through this time really interestingly and I could not believe, right? There was two things that come out. A and Z, I would normally have to go to this bank, which is a bank in Australia to deal with this transaction. Um, couldn't go to the bank. So they face ID'd me. Literally, they scanned my face through my phone and a virtual uh, signature and they accepted that as a form of ID. So even A and Z, 
one of the big four banks in Australia has been forced into this evolvement and change. So this huge, huge um, speed up of forced adaptive technology is here. And I think to embrace that and lean into it is probably the biggest thing I would encourage from there. What I kind of think is going to happen on the back of this though, is like, you know, all these things are going to happen um, and we're going to be forced into this new era and there's going to be a huge window of opportunity for people to take advantage of it. And what we're going to have to discern as a society and world is what are the businesses that truly need location dependence and what are the ones that aren't and the ones anyone caught in that crosswire of thinking they need to be in a location when they could be virtual and they don't move, they'll go. And any of the businesses that evolve to online quickly will increase market share. And then of course there will be things like, I still can't see people getting their hair cut virtually. Like hairdressers will have a place. But a lot of like finance services. Someone will figure it out. (laughs) Maybe there's some sort of helmet you get and it's like instructional. That's the reality. As I'm rocking the COVID cut right now of crew cut. Um, (laughs) But these are the things I think are really going to happen from there. And that's the shift we're going to be moving towards. So um, in services, we'll say financial services, I think is predominantly going to move online. Legal, a lot of legal stuff, a lot of real estate stuff, I think is going to move online like in a big way, like virtual inspections, virtual auctions, virtual finance, like a lot of that type of stuff is going to be there. And then a lot of online process will be improved. So they're my big picks. Yeah, I really think, um, like I look at the fitness industry, right? And, and a lot of people that are listening to this will be fitness based. Um, but I really look at the fitness industry and I just look at, you know, it's a really, it's, a, it's actually a tough one to pick because, you know, naturally I think, what people don't get that I think fitness embraces a lot of naturally is connection, you know? So I think that fitness is a big thing, not only just about, um, you know, obviously there's results driven fitness, but then there's also that connection driven fitness. And a lot of people, that's what they miss in a sense. You know, the gym is the one place that they can probably go to every day. That's not work or it's not home um, that they still do get that connection. And it's, it's going to be really interesting to see, but uh, in the future to see, you know, obviously when gyms open back up, what happens? Is it, do we, do we go to this place where we see a lot of the fitness-based business owners move to online? Do we see people just maybe start to move to a bit more of a hybrid model where they, they have that online there and, or maybe they do less face-to-face work and, you know, what do gym owners do? You know, do gym owners make a, a slight pivot? It's going to be really interesting to see. But I think one of the things that you said there that I think becomes really important is and we we kind of have talked about it previously it's like you know we, we call it agility right and it's like you look at the the extreme pivot that people had to make in such a short time and i think naturally it, that becomes really really hard right when you are you are the only person in your business you know it's like to to, to have the output that you need to make that pivot happen quickly you know like and, and I guess it does talk to, you know, uh, we talk about cycles, um, but I think, you know, looking at the future and going, okay, well, where's the world going to be in five to 10 years? What, you know, we've got Instagram now, we've got Facebook, we've got, uh, you know, Spotify has just added video uh, to their, to what they're doing. I think it's, there's probably never been a more important time to have a digital brand. Uh, and uh, again, we talked about pushing up perceived value, you know, that's really what allows you, uh, and that's the tool that we never had to to create greater amounts of leverage and have higher margins in business. So I think the thing that I'm really, I think becomes really important for people moving forward, especially in the fitness industry is, 
and and you're probably an expert at this. This, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna say, is having a great team around you and and being able to uh, be agile and and move quickly and have that maximum output uh, when when it's needed. Um, I, I think that's probably one thing that I. I notice is that, you know, we deal with a lot of business owners that are trying to make that leap. They're trying to go from being just them in their business, working high amounts of uh, hours each week, low amounts of sleep, high amounts of stress to starting to find a little bit more leverage in their business, having a bit more time um, and a bit more freedom, but still having, you know, being able to make progress. And that's probably the one thing that I've seen is that, you know, when this all happened, nobody was expecting it, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have been prepared. And, you know, everybody was caught sitting with their hands in their pockets saying, yeah, I'll, I'll start, you know, I'll, I'll put the, the effort in in a couple of months' time when I have a bit more free time or when I've got a bit more money saved and these types of things. And I think it just speaks to the, how important uh, having a great team is or at least just prioritising leverage in your business. You know, you've got some great softwares now that can really help you. You've got some, some technology out there. Uh, and and obviously you know you there's also you've gonna you've got access to people around the world which we've talked about as well where you can build great teams um mobile teams you know like they don't have to be working with you at the gym you can you can bring in a team and, and find that leverage in many different ways now and i think for me that's the biggest thing that i see is that you know, the emphasis of being agile is going to, is going to grow. And, and I think, you know, whether it's conscious or, you know, in someone's at the front of their mind right now, the answer to that is, is leverage and, and leverage in many different ways, because that's almost what will create the agility. Hugely so. And some really important points there, Kyle. Um, some people may not know this, I dare say a few, but one of the things I got on very early was the ability to take advantage of like labor arbitrage. Um, so working in a business, I had an agency, a marketing agency at that time, we worked out that, hang on, we could hire people offshore much quicker than we could hire them locally for more of the mundane tasks. The internet was very different back then. You used to have to do a lot, a lot of things more manually. Mm. Um, on the back of that, though, we've seen the wave of the Philippines and India really become much bigger things. What I would say is probably another trend that people really need to start to prepare themselves for is that a lot of business owners right now they were like, I would only ever work from an office. And as everyone's been forced to work from home in where I am, that has happened. Suddenly that boss is going, hang on, we can have people not in the office. And I think it's only a matter of time before they start to cotton on. Well, if they're not in the office, why do they need to be in Australia or the US? And I think we're going to see a lot of companies diversify their labor force, either by cost analysis would be one, definitely, or two skill analysis. I think that's going to become something where if there's certain skills you can only get in certain countries, they'll start to become more known for that. Mm. I think I can really see that becoming a thing down the road as well. So that'll be probably one of the other trends and things, but um, I, I, I can't, I have to go into this in something I find so interesting. Um, you mentioned the idea of like being prepared for this, like in some ways, something that has probably um, helped me a lot in business and in life is I'll go to these situations and I'll give you one from here is that, you know, 90% of businesses fail. Like that's the hard truth is that 90% that start fail. And I think a lot of people just brush that off and say, I'm the 10%. Like ego gets in and they say, that's fine. But do you know who I am? Like, you, I'm kind of a big deal. Like, have you, have you seen me? Like, and I took a completely different approach and I said, well, I'm just going to assume I'm the 90% and then I'm going to make this idea of like, what can I do to mitigate against that? 
So what can we do differently? And like, I've been someone that's more been more conservative in business. I haven't run huge uh, debt particularly or taken unnecessary risk. And it's in these times that I'm in, incredibly grateful for that. So I, I kind of look to a few things that I think if business owners didn't do prior to this, this is probably one of the first things they're going to have to get in place beforehand or sorry, after these kind of things is going, well, one, we had three months of running costs just sitting there. If we take any hits, we could survive that easily. Two is we're not location dependent. So if any one location becomes a central point of us doing business is like, that's a huge risk. And then three is we're not client dependent. Now I understand in fitness, a lot of um, have heaps of clients, but they run that location risk or that team risk. And I think even having an awareness to that, even if you haven't completely mitigated against that or reduced it, having the ability to go, if this happens, then we do that. Or knowing when to cut things off or how to, how to adjust in those situations can just make such a difference, like such a difference going forward. Yeah, I really like the idea of diversified revenue streams. So like, and you're doing you know, exactly what you just said, where something that we're working with a lot of our clients with now is going, you know, we need to, and there's a, there's a concept I love called anti-fragility, right? Nicholas Taleb, he written a book on it. I love it. I just think it's a great way to think about trading stocks, building business, making every decision in life. You know, um, biology is anti-fragile. Like a lot of the, the things such as nature become anti-fragile. And I love to think about diversified revenue streams like that. So the way I like to think about it is going, and what we're advising at the moment is even for people in lockdown is, you know, we don't know how long this is going to be with us. So then we go, okay, what's a strategy that we can implement that becomes anti-fragile? And the way I look at this is that it will work in a lockdown, but it will get even better outside of a lockdown, you know? And the way I think about being prepared for this and something, uh, maybe a bit of a lesson that people can take away is, you know, like you said, being so location dependent, you know, wanting, what about diversifying revenue streams and having a, a you know, just a, a good 30% of your revenue that isn't location dependent. So maybe it's a low cost, you know, uh, re reoccurring subscription model that is purely about member benefits or it's purely uh, something that's online that can be done because uh, it's not just about me being able to execute in a lockdown. It's about the, the customer being able to um, enjoy it, it during the lockdown and, and being able to, to use it in a lockdown. You know, like, as I said, there's no point um, if I'm a powerlifting coach, you know, there's no point me um, just having an online coaching program that, you know, because at the end of the day, if gyms are shut, they're not just shut for me, they're shut for the, the individual as well. So this is where I think you can diversify your revenue streams and maybe add like something like 30% of your revenue that is purely member benefit based, such as something like Amazon Prime, where Amazon Prime is purely um, there and a lot of what they give you is member benefits. You know, it's the two-day delivery, and they're vertical. They're a, they're a, they're a, they're obviously a beast in themselves. But I think that the opportunity right now is to go. Even if you are in a lockdown, but if you're not, is going okay. Well, you know, let's say that it's not a not a pandemic next time. Let's say it's a you know, global warming. Something happens there. You know, like it could be anything, right? But we know that this stuff happens, and it's going. Okay, well, you know, if we were to go into a, a, a situation where the location was taken away from me, I still want to be able to have 30% of my revenue there as this anti-fragile strategy that still, no matter what, would still benefit people um, within the brand and it'd still be affordable and it's, you know, it, it's very anti-fragile. And then if I can create something like that now, um, 
it works both in a lockdown and out of a lockdown. And it also, it, play, it really does play into economies of scale, um, which, you know, obviously is such an important factor when it comes to, um, you know, finding leverage in your business. So I, I just think that there, there's a really big opportunity for people right now to learn from the mistake of putting their all, all their eggs in one basket and diversifying revenue stream, um, which again, creates anti-fragility. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that will get better um, in normal, you know, day-to-day -day life, but also if something goes wrong, uh, it's still something that can, can stay there and still, still work and still provide a revenue stream for us. So, I mean, it, it really does play into what you just said there, where it's, you know, um, there's obviously a lot of these things that we've seen happen where, you know, companies are going to start thinking in different ways. But I think, you know, diversifying revenue is probably something for small business owners that they don't think about. You know, it's not the first thing that comes to mind, but I think it's something that can be, you know, largely beneficial from now into the next five years. Well, sadly, most business owners don't take their business seriously. And we've spoken this in a lot of times. A lot of people are like accidental business owners. So maybe they were someone who liked cutting hair or training people in a gym and then they become a fitness business owner or they end up owning a salon. And like you can insert so many of them. Accountants, like they go to uni, they train to be an accountant. Right? They're really good at accounting, but they're not necessarily trained up to run a business. Like it's a different skill set. Like a lot of people go from a technical application into being a business owner, but then don't treat it the same as they did as acquiring the skills in their technical craft. Mm. So that's probably one of the things from there which prevents them from seeing those opportunities or developing more widely is they just haven't invested the skills. I think is interesting. But there's a few more things I can probably see going forward that you know really make this time very interesting. I think leasing agreements and what uh, businesses own the property they work on versus lease stuff or share stuff is about to change immensely. In commercial real estate, it's going to change immensely as a lot of businesses kind of uh, either go under or move out or do different things from there. But I would almost say that one of the things that I know we've both been taking advantage of in this time, if you're someone that's been smart, someone who's put away some cash, someone who's uh, in a position now where you're doing okay, I have never seen a time when there's so much high quality talent looking for work. Like it is actually insane. And I'll, I'll give you some contrast. A year ago, maybe a bit more, I put up a, an ad we were hiring for a video editor role. I got 12 applications in a week. Uh, I did this more recently. I got 190 applications in four hours. I, I didn't even get through reviewing them all or the team. Like we just had to like randomly select um, because it's just so intense. And like during this time, like we've made three really key hires. And I know this is something you're uh, endeavoring on as well. But I just encourage people. It's like this might be the absolute perfect time for you to upgrade your team. This might be the time where you've got a few B players you replace with A players or acquire some new talent that's going to prepare you for the upcoming opportunities and trends. And while everyone else is sitting on their hands, you're going to be the one acquiring all this talent that's just not being looked after properly. Well, let, let's dive into that, right? So, so what's for, for anyone listening who is either looking to make their first hire um, or they're looking to build a world-class team, what would be, your, I guess, your top three tips that you would advise on you know, either one of those situations or both if, if you can? on you know, how to do so and, and uh, the process in which you can, you can do that. Because I think that's something that we talk about building leverage and creating leverage in, within a business. I think taking, making that first hire for someone is always the scariest leap. And a lot of people would rather just go, oh, I'll revert back to me doing all the work because I can trust myself. I know my work ethic. I know what I can do. Whereas you know, putting my business in the hands of somebody else can be a really daunting thing. But you know, again, me and you have experienced 
this firsthand. It's also something that can be, it's, it's probably the, the most important thing in business, in, in my opinion, is having, you know, the thing I'm seeing is that I'm, my, my business is limited by uh, the output that our team and, and our, our, you know, the, the people that uh, are part of our, our company can, uh, what, what amount of output that we can create. So what would be your top three tips for anyone looking to make their first hire or, or continue building a world-class team? Really good um, question there, Kyle. I think this is something that doesn't get enough. So I'll give a tip in acquiring talent. I think the best hires you make are ones that are already doing what you need done. So where I see commonly falling to a trap is they'll hire maybe a junior, someone they know, a family friend, uh, any, any version of someone that is, you know, the easy way of hiring. They hire them, they've got no experience or limited experience in what they need, and they end up with a friendly B player that is not executing well. So I think the easiest hire you will make is there's already someone out there crushing it at what you need to do, hire them and find that person, especially if they've perhaps been let go or not happy in current opportunities because of the world, like this is your chance. Like, as I said, never had so many inquiries of people working at very respectable companies that we never get applications or find these people in these times. So that would be my point one. The point two I would really make here is when you hire, I think a lot of people think to roles and things, but they don't necessarily think about the dependence on you. So I really love to hire people in roles where it's like it enhances the business and the output or throughput of the business without needing more of my time. Because the more I hire people that rely on me for either uh, communication, direction, micromanagement, project management, or, or any of those forms, really every hire is a liability, not an asset. I think businesses grow on hiring assets, not liabilities. Mm. So that would be uh, point number two there that I would really uh, lean into from there. And then number three, I'd, I'd probably say that is a huge thing from, jeez. Oh, yeah, no, I'm going to go with this one. I've rechanged it. I want to go with this one here. It's like um, actually spending time um, developing a great system for your team to run by. So mm. a lot of people, um, ha I'm seeing this many a times, is like they hire people, those people kind of work out their own roles and where they fit. There's nothing kind of documented or done or put together in how this business actually achieves that. So if you're hiring people that already know how to crush it, right? And then in the second part of uh, what I just said there, you, you've got these people independently or able to work independently. The third thing is just creating an environment where they can work together well, especially without you. Then you stand to be far more successful. Where I think a lot of hiring has become about what questions do I ask in a job interview? Um, and it's like, it's like, no, 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 you've got to think bigger. Like that's what you're actually trying to look from there, which I think can dramatically change uh, how a business functions. And the reason I lean into this is because I screwed up so badly in my first run of things. Like I had 15 people that all needed me to get anything done. And I felt like I was running an adult daycare center, not a, um, a business, which I used to joke to my wife as well. I used to say that I should get a firefighter hat and just wear that to work. Cause all I do is go in and put out fires all day. So horrible experience, but that would be my tips. Yeah, I, it's definitely something that you, you recognize after making those first hires is that, you know, we've, I mean, I've been there as well. And I think you can, you can almost, it can, it can work the opposite way as well. Like, you know, you can often want to be relied on because that's what, you know, again, what we said before is as a business owner, you can always rely on your own output because you trust yourself, you know yourself you know that, you know, you can get stuff done and you know what you can get done, the amount you can work. So 
I think like there's, it works both ways as well uh, as a business owner when you're hiring. It's like look for people that don't need to be micromanaged and take initiative, but then also let them take the initiative. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's one of the hardest things as a business owner to do, especially when building a team is like, you know, how can I, uh, am I, I almost look at it as being willing to make mistakes and allowing people to make mistakes just because, and you know, you obviously got to pull them up and have the conversation and, and as a team go, how can we do this better? And, and how can we, you know, systemize this maybe or whatever the conversation is, but the allowance of that mistake is really important initially that first mistake, allowing people to make it so that, cause again, that's the only way that you can truly learn and, and better the process in general. So, Whereas trying to avoid all mistakes, I think is, you know, it's something that you always got to do, but I think don't be upset and don't uh, react emotionally when that mistake happens, you know, have a rational um, process where you can, you know, you can almost take the learning straight away and adapt quickly and, and then, you know, uh, allow people to, to take their own initiative. And, and, and if you do that, then um, you give people the best opportunity at reaching their potential within your company. And then that means your company usually is, is going to be chasing its potential as well. So I think that's a really good point. Um, you, and, you and do so. I've got to jump in. There's a, and this changed my life in this analogy, right? So we can lean into these things and like people always ask me, he's like, well, how, like, how, how do you actually do that? And um, I love this analogy so much. It must be included in this podcast. Someone, someone said to me that he goes, most people are trying to win the game of business like Michael Jordan instead of Phil Jackson, Jackson, which was the coach. Mm. So he goes like, what happens is it's like business owners, when things are going down, the whole approach is give me the ball. MJ's like, and like, if you've seen the last dance, which I loved, um, but if you've ever seen like the whole approach to Chicago Bulls is like, you want to win, give Michael Jordan the ball, right? Like he would take control of a game personally. And, you know, a lot of the time would close it out, but the work's on him. Whereas as soon as you start to think of your business of like, well, hang on, I want to actually influence the game like Bill Jackson, like the coach, not the player. Then you start to see the whole game of business in this very different life. So you start to realize that your responsibility is to behave like a coach in your business. And like, how does a coach influence a game? What's the strategy before? It's player selection. It's who's on the court at the right times in what roles. It's having the, you know, the, what is it? Halftime break. People management, right? Like, you know, people management, how do you know, like, you know, there's everybody's different dynamic. How can I get the best out of these individuals? In certain, uh, when they play certain teams, like changing the roster, like if the environment's changed, you know, we're playing Boston today and then oh, we're playing the Lakers, like you've got to change the plays of the systems. And I was like, when I had this like breakthrough and just to be clear, the owner of the team is the shareholders. So that's a different role altogether, but it's like when someone actually explained it into these terms, it's like, it's like, ah, oh, I've been trying to be Michael Jordan. I like MJ. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot I appreciate in what he's done and he's phenomenally skilled, but like, that's not actually who I want to be in my business. Like in my you business. Be higher, MJ. Exactly. And if you can make that shift mentally and start showing up and behaving in your business like that, everything changes. That's a, that's a really cool analogy, Charlie. I really like it. I want to say a big thanks for coming on board uh, and jumping in on the podcast. First time that we've changed the, the structure and I think um, no better guests to have on board, especially when we're talking business initially. So I want to say a big thanks and uh, just make sure that you, you, know, you stay healthy, stay safe and hopefully us Melburnians are out of a lockdown pretty soon. Yeah, agree to that. Thank you so much for having me on, Kyle.
All right. So now we're diving into strategy sessions. Now, this is a part of the podcast where you, the audience, get to ask a question uh, about strategy, business strategy, how we can take your business from where it is now to where you want it to be. Um, and, and this is just something that I think, like, you know, I think business strategy really is the missing link. I think that's the thing that uh, a lot of business owners struggle with. So I wanted to bring it to the table and 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 really offer a bit of value to those listening and, and give you a bit of an insight into some business strategy. So, all right, we're going to dive into the first question. Hey, this is Colby. I'm an osteopathic manual practitioner from Windsor, Ontario, uh, owner of the Broco Clinic. I just wanted to ask you as a question we're looking right now. Uh, we're developing a program, essentially an app, for our patients uh, to take care of their stuff outside of the office. So obviously in office, they have their, their treatment protocols, et cetera. And then outside of the office, they're responsible for some movement, uh, stretching exercises, et cetera, whatever really the patient requires to improve the treatment process. Uh, so we're in the process of developing that in an app format. Um, right now, we've made a couple of the main focuses on this app being, obviously, the accountability of the patient to make sure that they're doing it regularly because that's one of our biggest problems with it as well as making sure that they're doing things correctly so we're going to end up creating a video cache or, or, or something of that nature so that these patients have that ability now it's a different niche than general when we're looking at fit the fitness industry where we're looking at everyday people that are injured or they're in the phase of going from I call it from standing or from, or sorry, from sitting to standing or from standing to walking opposed from walking to running. So we're not looking at performance necessarily, but we're looking at the improvement of general motion as well as their general life. So I was just curious in your thoughts on this, what may be a, a KPI to mark or a key outcome to market and track when looking at developing this process. And also on top of that, some of the things that you'd consider when working with general population or in injured people opposed to working in the fitness industry. Thank you. All right. First of all, thanks for the question, Colby. Really, um, <clears throat> a really deep question and insightful question, which is, you know, I mean, uh, I, I love it. Um, the, I guess the first thing that I want to say here is, is going that obviously when we're running these extracurricular activities, um, as, you know, as a service provider, the hardest thing that we, the biggest barrier or, or obstacle that we're going to face is when we, when we try to get people to engage in something that becomes regular outside of the service we're providing them. So, um, you know, as an osteopath, like the biggest thing is, is that people are coming to you to get them out of pain. So what they're expecting is, is that the only thing you're going to offer them is the time spent with them. And, and that's the kind of the laziness that comes out in people. But what I can really think, uh, I think where the opportunity lies is creating network effects um, where what ends up happening is, is that every time, you know, when we talk about network effects is that every time you add somebody to this program, you want it to benefit everybody else. And as, uh, as uh, you know, every single person that gets added to it becomes a value add in itself. Um, and I think the way that you can do this, right, is be, by creating cross-communication cross between everybody. Um, but I think you, there's also a really big opportunity for gamification. I think gamification is that if you want to get people involved and engaged in something, you need to gamify it. That's what... Um, you know, honestly, like that's what, if anybody who knows Robin Hood, they're a trading app, but what differentiates them from other trading apps um, is the fact that it's gamified. Um, and, and a lot of the things, especially if we want to get keep people engaged and keep people uh, doing things, we want to gamify it. So I think there's potential there for you to gamify this program in a sense 
into something such as maybe a loyalty program where you might gamify the loyalty program based on this program and reward them based on the gamification of and and reward them with some you know something some type of loyalty strategy such as like maybe a free session a consult something that they're really going to value i think that's where the the naturally that's where my mind goes if you want people to engage more you've got to gamify it um, and i think the potential of it is is to gamify it with a loyalty program really hit that post purchase strategy create a loyalty program that triggers that the gamification triggers um, and that'll keep people engaged and then allow them to communicate and transparently see when people are actually achieving things so that they can congratulate them um, and ask questions and and they're all engaged with each other which will create this internal hierarchy within the the the, the program itself um, so that's that's where I think the biggest opportunity lies for you Cole in in doing that I think that's probably where I would say spend your time with this program over the next couple of months. Next question. Hey, Kyle, this is Jeff Bramhall from Just Breathe Manual Therapy in Lawrence, Massachusetts, USA. I just started a new massage therapy business and 100% of my clients come through referrals. And where I'm, where I'm looking for some strategy help is how would you make it easy for people to refer other people when the work itself is pretty unique and different from what most folks are accustomed to from a massage therapy standpoint. I'm really interested to hear how you would approach this problem. Thanks. Man, Jeff, you have a really nice voice. I mean, I know I've heard it a few times now, but I think there's something in about a nice American voice. It's just bliss. Um, I know that sounds a bit fucking weird, but so I'm sorry about that, Jeff. But really great question, man. Um, I think referrals is one of those things that in today's day and age, when you're when we're in a digital era, and especially if you're trying to build a digital brand, I think you've got to figure out some type of streamlined process around referrals that allows you to um, streamline that process. So I think that naturally what you could do is create some type of membership that allows you to create a pool of people. So it doesn't necessarily just have to be um, with clients. Um, it, you know, it could potentially be um, something that's broader than that, that includes like membership sites, easy things that they can do at home, some member benefits, like maybe you're getting them discounts of certain things or, or whatever, um, or it doesn't even have to be that um, deep. It can just be something very surface level where you create a pool of people so that when someone's referring to you, they're not referring just for a session or something like that. They're referring into this pool of people, which could be a group. It could be a, a private, uh, you know, website group or private uh, subscription group or something like that. And what you're doing is you're bringing people continuously into this pool of people that you can just continuously nurture and remarket to, which, and then again, I think uh, I've, I just spoke about this, but then gamifying that. So, you know, what what does uh, a referral get somebody within this subscription? Does it get, you know, maybe a certain amount of points, which can come from a referral, gets them um, a free session of massage, all of these types of things. And I think like that's naturally where I go with this is that, you know, again, gamifying that process from people within that subscription so that a referral is not into your service, but it's into this private group. Facebook group, website group, whatever. Um, I think website, I would go with more, try to really make it yours. Um, and then 
that allows the referral to be nice and easy. It's not a large, you know, there doesn't have to be a lot of trust there and then gamify that to drive people to refer more and more and more. Um, again, that's that's probably where my mind goes. Um, so thanks for the question, Jeff. A really, really great question. Um, that's all we're going to dive into for strategy sessions today. But for everyone who's listening, if you do have a question, um, we uh, simply go to, um, there'll be a link in, um, my bio on Instagram. Um, we send an email out every week um, or simply shoot an email to myself, Kyle, at elitevitalitycoaching.com uh, with you know a recorded question and we'll answer it here live on the podcast and try to offer value to you and every single other business owner that's listening. The arena. So as I said before, guys, the arena is something that I really enjoy. I, I, I really love the psychology and the philosophy uh, of life, let alone business. And I think when I really thought about what I wanted to deliver here, I think one of the things that I really wanted to, to drive home is that it's not just all about education. Understanding that personal development and building character is such a big piece to the puzzle when it when we talk about reaching our potential and becoming a, a great business owner and I think I often talk about it like I think a lot of people get caught up in their craft and being great at that but they don't be proud of being a great business owner and that's a lot of the reason why they don't put effort into the business based uh, principles and, and skills and so you know I really wanted to deliver something that would allow us to um, teach you guys about building character and this isn't about me being an expert at it. This is just, you know, I want to share with you some of my experiences and some of the things that I've learned about myself along the way. Uh, not about other people, not um, saying that I'm perfect, but more just saying this is something that I've experienced and I just, you know, if one of you can get something out of this, then it's going to be, you know, super, super rewarding for me. Um, but also, um, you know, the goal of this podcast is to offer value and educate. So, you know, I think uh, it's something that I really wanted to bring to the table. And, and as I said, I'm super excited about it. But, you know, what we're going to talk about today and something that I wanted to bring to the table is talking about uh, the ego, right? It is it is literally impossible for you to hold yourself accountable um, in life uh, when the ego is ruling uh, literally every single decision that you make. And, you know, there was a time in my life where I would always rationalize why I did something or why something didn't go well for me or why I was failing at something. And I always rationalized it as a protection mechanism. You know, so, you know, whether that was me treating somebody badly, whether it was me, you know, not playing in the A team as a kid, whether it was me, you know, why my business isn't successful, why I chose not to study, uh, all of these things, right? What I continuously did was I continuously rationalized those things. Oh, I'm not playing in the A team because the coach doesn't like me. My business isn't successful because of the place that I work at. You know, my, uh, you know, it's, uh, there was so many different excuses that I would bring to the table. And this isn't about excuses. This is about understanding your own ego. And I really think that, you know, I'm going to start with a bit of a story. You know, there was a, a, 
uh, growing up, football was everything to me, AFL football, and I played um, representative football literally throughout probably from 14 to 18. So, you know, I was playing at a high level um, and, and going to and playing for rep teams. But along that journey, I continuously – so I've had four knee reconstructions for those of you who don't know, but um, – sorry, three knee reconstructions and four knee injuries. Um but what ended up happening is as a kid, because I didn't know how to deal and I didn't even really know what my ego was, what ended up happening was was that I would always rationalize, you know, I, I continuously got worse and worse as my career went on if, I, if I'm, you know, I'm going to be honest. Um, but what would end up happening is I would rationalize why and I would always use the excuse of my knee or, you know, the coach not liking me or something like that. And I look back at that now and I go, you know, there's, there's people that I know that have had the same injuries of me that have still progressed and achieved great things in sport. And, you know, I look back at that now and I say, I never want to go through that in business. And the reason is, is because when you rationalize something, you can't take responsibility for it. And, and really that's your ego talking. And when you can't, when your ego is driving your decisions and your behavior and you can't take responsibility for something, you actually give your power away and you give your power away to the external world. And that means that you're always going to uh, just accept what's happening to you and you're always going to just allow what's happening to you to actually happen and you're never going to be actually able to change anything or do anything about it. Right. And, and really, if you want to become something, if you want to grow and you want to become a great business owner, uh, and you want to reach the potential, uh, or your potential and become everything that you can become, you have to recognize that the ego is something that lives within all of us. And the more that we can start to recognize our ego and understand it, the more we can actually subdue it and, you know, hide it and understand it and face it and, and literally come face to face with it. Uh, and, and that's when we can, uh, you know, start to make better decisions. We can start to take responsibility for our lives. And, you know, I just think that's one of the toughest things in the world to do. Uh, but I think that once you can recognize your ego and you can stop yourself from saying certain things, you can stop yourself from reacting emotionally in certain situations, you can stop yourself from putting others down and, and you, know, you know, playing a game of status. I think that once you can do that, you become such a such a, a powerful individual and you start to take back that power and you can literally change the trajectory of your life at any point in time. I want to thank you guys for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the new structure of the podcast. And as always, uh, if you enjoyed the episode, press the like button, uh, give it a share, make sure you subscribe, and uh, we'll see you next week.